Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, is, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work For Him Zone. I hope you're never the same. In our never-ending I Work For Him desire to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways that will challenge the way you think about your faith and work, today we're talking about the executive calling. But wait, but wait, don't tune down yet. This executive calling, what we talk about today, it applies to so many more Don't go away. I'd like to welcome to the show author Roger Anderson, who wrote this incredible book called The Executive Calling. Roger, welcome to the I Work For Him show. Well, thanks, Jim. Great to be here. Uh, I'm just excited to have you. I'm so thrilled. You know, the the connection, the fact that you and I have never met face-to-face, but I've read your book, which means I know more about you than you know about me, and the fact that you, you know my sister well, which was fantastic. I just love the fact that my sister having a conversation with you at a dinner tells me, she t- comes down then over Christmas and tells me all about you, and I'm thinking... I got to read this book. She goes, Oh, that's great because I bought you a copy and here it is. So it's fantastic. I'm glad that you're here. You know, I wanted to just read this verse of scripture, Roger, before we get started. Colossians 3 23 and 24 really talks about. It, it, it talks it, it talks so right in our faces about those people that wonder whether what they do matters. It says, Work willingly, and this is the New Living Translation, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. So many of us really struggle with the fact that 
our churches have never really encouraged us, Roger, in order to recognize our workplace as a calling, as our mission field. And so we feel like our work just doesn't matter. But your book does a very good job in spelling that out, that it does matter. Well, I appreciate that. That verse in Colossians is really one of my favorites. And uh, and I also want to say I'm just pumped up that your introduction is fantastic. It's well worth the whole hour. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much. I hope you feel that way at the end of our hour. All right, so here's the question I ask all of my guests before we get started with the interview. I just want people to know that 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 everybody enjoys Christ in a different way. And so that's why I asked this question, and I told you I'd be asking this question, but how is Jesus Christ making a difference in your life today? Well, you know, Jim, I just uh, retired about a year ago, and uh, so I got a lot I have a lot of free time on my hand and hands and I'm I'm just seeking the Lord right now in terms of what He wants for me next. I've got a good friend that I play golf with uh, several times a year, and every time I play golf with him over the last several years, he says, you know, what does the Lord want to do next? And I've I've run into this in my career many times where there was a, a gap in my career or a change or something, and uh, you just have to be patient on the Lord. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I'm at that place, that, you know, and I, and I say to Rolf all the time, I said, hey, you know, let's just be patient. You know, the Lord's uh, time and time again uh, given me something else uh, to do for him. And, uh, and so that's where I'm at right now. And uh, so just looking for ways that, you know, the, the idea of retirement, I've got friends or pastors that tell me that retirement is not biblical. And, uh, you know, I think that's right. So... So I'm not pursuing a uh, a job for um, a salary anymore, but uh, I am looking for ways that I can be involved and serve him, particularly in the passion that I've got, which is uh, faith at work and uh, helping people to understand that uh, their work really matters to God. Well, and I got to tell you that that just our conversations over the last couple of months, uh, and then you connected me up with Larry Peabody, and he mm. is coming on my show next week. And wow. uh, so, thank you very much. And he wrote another. You wrote that excellent article, everything a pastor should really know about faith and work. And Larry wrote one too. And so, yeah. in the last couple of weeks, I've been able to forward that on to several different pastors. It, it is so so great to be able to give them perspective because pastors are really struggling with that perspective. They just nobody's really challenged them to really think about it, and they can't. They don't realize what a huge impact it would be to actually equip their congregation with the message that what they do matters each and every day, and it can matter for the kingdom. I mean, it's just exactly. it's so powerful. Exactly. Yeah. I've got an aside for you. Before we go, and I, and I told you I'd let you know all my questions ahead of time, but, you know, you're a former Pepsi executive, okay? Mm-hmm. And my favorite drink is Mountain Dew. I mean, it, it is. Is there any way I could get a lifetime supply of that? Oh, no. Oh, Andrea's telling me that wasn't nice. Okay. I mean, seriously, if I could just have that in the studio on tap, it's the it's the best thing about Panera around the world is that you can go there and get Mountain Dew on tap. Well, that's probably what keeps you pumped up. There's nope. a lot of sugar and caffeine in there. No, I, I understand, but I have not had a Mountain Dew in several days. This is just the way oh. I am, but I would really like one right now. I just think that'd be fun. But, but I just, you know, there's not many people, you know, I grew up in Minnesota, just like you're living in Minnesota, but, and Pepsi was everywhere. You know, we're down here in the South, that other company reigns, and... Uh, oh. 
Oh, dear. You know the other one. They, they do. They're everywhere. And the only place you can really get Mountain Dew on tap would be Taco Bell and Panera. So it, uh-huh. it is, I just would love, you know, Mountain Dew is my favorite. And and I know, honestly, probably 20 of the pounds that I've gained since I got married 30 years ago, probably all represented by Mountain Dew. All right. So that yeah. was an aside. Just I just wanted to endorse Mountain Dew because I just think it's a great drink. And I know you had nothing to do with designing it, but do. thank you for perpetuating it. Thank you for perpetuating it. All right, so you wrote this incredible book, The Executive Calling. And I don't say that. I mean, I, I honestly, in the last two years, Roger, I've read 70 workplace ministry books. And some of them are okay. Some of them are not worth mentioning. Some of them are fantastic. Yours is almost fantastic. And, and the only what makes it fant- more fantastic was just a little shorter because it was a lot of reading. I had to read a lot. And it was that's because every page in your book, Roger, was so full of information, so full of great examples, so full of practical application. I mean, I read every word, underlined half of the book. I mean, it was just so pertinent to the life of somebody who's in a leadership position in any organization. I loved it. So you don't get the fantastic award because it took me too long to read it. But it is (laughs) it is got to be the most practical guide for an executive on here's what you've got to look forward to. If you're going to be a leader in an organization, here's what it looks like to bring Jesus with you. I, I mean, way to go. I thank the Lord that you sat down and wrote this. Well, I appreciate it, and it was really, it was really a journey. It was probably one of the best times in my life, the year that I spent writing that book, and a lot led up to that. Well, I, I mean, well, yeah, a lot. I mean, you got 20 years of notes, 30 years of notes in there, uh, working for Young America Corporation, working for uh, Pepsi, working for these other organizations. I mean, you know, I, I just, it's just great. And I love the fact that you drew personal examples into everything it was so that makes it so much easier so why did you set out to write the book well i think it's all about my own personal journey to connect uh, faith and work i grew up in a christian home i accepted christ when i was 13 uh there were really i would say three phases to my life there was my youth where i accepted christ i was very active in youth group and then i went to wheaton college um and uh, it was a tremendous experience. But I have so many friends who um, who were uh, planning to become pastors or missionaries, uh, and uh, or even doctors. Um, and 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 I wasn't. I, I I felt like I wanted to go into business. And and somewhere along the line there, I felt like God hadn't called me. Um, and sometimes the church gives us this feeling that only pastors and missionaries, maybe doctors, because they're in the healing arts, um, but uh, the rest of us aren't called, particularly those of us that go into business. And, and, uh, and that, that kind of scarred me um, for a while. Mm. In fact, I remember um, in my uh, yearbook at Wheaton, under the economics department, under each department they would say something about uh, the studies and the people in the department, and, and in each case, there was something, you know, really praiseworthy about how these people in this uh, field of major were going to do things for the Lord. Under the economics department, it opened up by saying, uh, contrary to popular belief, economics is just economics and business is just not is not just for those who are too lazy to succeed at anything else. So that really. That really makes you feel like you're not called. It makes you feel like a right. second-class citizen. Second-class uh, Christian, you bet. A second-class Christian. And in fact, 
it's wrong. I mean, those of us in the business world, as everyone out there who's working in the marketplace knows, we do work very hard. So I went through a period, probably about 20 years, where I felt like, well, God hadn't called me. I felt uh, I hadn't made the team. And I kind of went off my own way. And I pursued my career. I worked hard, and I um, moved up in my career. Uh, but it was many years later, probably only about 12, 14 years ago, that I really started to wonder why all of this mattered and what, what am I doing and what's the significance to God about this. And I really started to seek that. So it was only in the last, oh, probably eight years of my career that I started to connect that. And in one of my latter jobs or last jobs, um, I actually sat down and said, Lord, uh, I really want you to... Um, when I accepted this job, I really want you to bless this job and help me to glorify you in everything I do. And that was a real turning point. I actually called up my pastor and said, let's pray about this, because I really want to glorify God in what I do. And uh, that just gave so much more significance to my work. And we might get into this a little bit later, but three times in my career, as and I did turnarounds for companies that were um, struggling or about bankrupt, either a CFO or president of those companies. So you go in and you have to work very hard and work very quickly to save those companies. But in three of those cases, owners or um, board people, uh, perhaps greedy for profit, uh, tried to or uh, pressured me to do some things that lacked integrity, to uh, lie to auditors, to lie to Wall Street, uh, to cheat my senior executives out of their um, equity, and uh, that type of thing. And in each case, I prayed about it, and, and obviously it was the wrong thing, and didn't do that. In two of the cases, I lost my job. And then in the last case, I... Uh, I was really broken, and the Lord, I prayed, and I was just so broken, and I, I prayed, Lord, what do you want me to do? And uh, the Lord very clearly said to me, uh, get up and get on a plane to fly to Wall Street, and that's where our our um, board chairman was and the owner, and, um, and resigned. And I said, well, Lord... Uh, I'm not that old yet, and I'm making a lot of money. Uh, what do you want me to do next? What do you want me to do next? And the Lord just kind of slapped me on the side of the head and said, I want you to obey me. And so the next day I got up and got on a plane and went to Manhattan, took a cab down to Wall Street and walked into his office and, uh, and said, uh, I'm, gonna re I'm resigning. They were trying to do some pretty bad things to uh, my senior team to cheat them, I think. Uh, well, I know. Um, so he looked at me in, in surprise, and he said, well, why are you resigning? And I said, well, I don't think you'll ever understand who sent me, um, but I think I need to resign to defend my people and, um, and to just get separated from this situation. So I did that. That was about six years ago. And then I said, all right, Lord, I've obeyed you, so what do you want me to do next? And I got nothing. And this is, this is what I talk about, where you have to wait on the Lord, because he has his own timing. So I said, Lord, I, I'm out of work. What do you want me to do next? And uh, I got no answer. 
and and I I went three or four months praying about that until one day I was in a bookstore. I walked down the Christian aisle and I noticed these Christian books that had something to do with business. I'd never seen that, and uh, I saw this one book. It was called Your Work Matters to God by Sherman and Hendricks. Mm. I picked that up and went home. I think I stayed up all night and read it. And I went, wow. This is really what it's about. Your work matters to God. I knew that, but I really hadn't been able to articulate it or put it together until Mm. I read that book. And that night I went on Amazon. I bought 20 books um, having to do with the faith and work movement. And I read all of them over the next few months and uh, took notes and and uh, I had a stack of notes uh, a foot high or more and then one day I said to Betty I said you know I said I think what the Lord wants me to do next is to write this book and one of the reasons I wrote the book is because all of these books that I read many of them as you said very very good books in fact most of them really great were written by pastors who had never worked in the marketplace, um, theologians, college professors, or consultants, and in a few cases, business owners like John Huntsman. Today we're talking with author Roger Anderson about his fantastic book called The Executive Calling, Corporate Success Without Selling Your Soul. Roger, welcome back to the I Work For Him show. Hey, Jim. All right, so you were you were talking right before the break, and I cut you off, and I apologize. Uh, but I told you that remote thing is that we're not looking at each other in the eyes, so that's a little tougher. So I apologize on that. But you know, you were talking about why you wrote this book and and how you came to write this book, and that you'd read a lot of other books, but but none of them were quite like what you wanted to write. So why you know what what was different about what you wanted to write? Well, sim- really simply, none of the books have been written by somebody who actually worked in the marketplace and didn't own a business. So so I said, well, mm. what about all of what about all of us, whether we're a VP or a director or manager who are Christians and working in Pepsi or um, or or General Electric or any corporation where they have their own secular secular culture and we're trying to survive and prosper and succeed as Christians in that environment. I, I, I hadn't read any books. That, that came from someone with that perspective. So that's that's why I wrote that. That is so, so great. So, in other words, a book written by somebody who didn't run the business, but they worked within somebody else's vision, but still being able to look at it like a workplace ministry. Hey, it's time for a book highlight segment brought to you by Karis Christian Books and Gifts. Karis Christian Books and Gifts have been part of the Largo community for over 29 years, located in the center of First Baptist Church of Indian Rocks on Ulmerton Road in Largo. Their 2,400 square foot stores open to the public seven days a week. Check them out online at shopcaris.com. That's shop, C-H-A-R-I-S dot com. Be the first person to call into the studio line today at 855-265-2929, and I'll send you a copy of Roger's excellent book called The Executive Calling. Let me give you a short explanation. There are a vast number of Christians in professional and management positions in corporate America who wish to lead as Christ intended. The Executive Calling describes how they can reconcile their faith with corporate cultures in ways that can enable them to lead effectively and righteously. This book not only challenges current Christian leaders in corporations to discover God's calling for them and their jobs, 
jobs, but calls younger professionals and college students to consider leadership careers in the corporate world. It examines scriptural advice on the most important leadership qualities and successful management practices. Call into the studio line right now at 855-265-2929, 855-265-2929. And remember, you need to read this book. Don't wait for the movie. Yeah, I didn't see that one coming, did you? Now, Roger, I didn't ask you. Do you have you don't have any Hollywood deals to take your book into a movie? Do you? No, no one's called me yet. Okay, all right. Well, I just want to make sure because almost all the Christian books don't get movies. Not all of them, but you know, most of them don't. So I want to. Make, I should have asked that before I said that. That's my favorite White Hart song from the '80s, and I just it's all about reading your Bible. And that was before they made any blockbuster Bible movies. No, it's not really mm. applicable today. But you know, anyway. All right. So this book is a great resource for people. And what I want to do in the second half of the show today is really talk about. The, the specifics you really dig through on the characteristics that, that Christ followers bring to the, uh, to the workplace and why they're so valuable. That's one thing you do all throughout the book. And then you've got several different points that are really hit. And that's what I want to, I want to hit some of these points that you really drove home that people struggle with in the workplace and how to deal with it. So can we do that in the second half of the show? That'd be great. All right. Okay. So listen, when when you were writing this book, how long did it take you to write the book? Well, it probably took me six months to write it, and then I had a uh, good friend from Wheaton who was an English major, and, and he was my uh, editor. Oh, man. And that that's... took another four or five months. Mm. Now, did your wife help you do the edit? Do any, you know, our wives are mostly our best critiques. Did she help at all? No, she encouraged me. She was your encourager. That's good. Your chief encouraging officer. That's very, very good. Right. <laughs> now, did you write it in the dead of winter in Minnesota, or did you, you know, did you wait till uh, it was summertime and you're out in your back deck getting eaten alive by mosquitoes? Boy, I can't remember. I'm guessing it was after golf season, though. <laughs> the golf season. Well, in Minnesota, the golf season is only three months long. So, you know, Roger, I want to hit some of these points, these really great points that you made in the book. And, and I'm not sure how to word the question, so I'm just going to kind of dig through it. But you, you had a whole bunch of great bullet points that really that executives struggle with. So uh, as you already mentioned, you mentioned that you never understood that your vocation was you know, th- that you felt like a second second place citizen, and, and so you you worded it. Hey, the most important vocation, like like somebody else's vocation, is more important than an executive's. So, how did you deal with that in the book? Well, like I said, that when I read some of these other books, I started to connect. Um, and just if I can do it really briefly, God has three great callings for us. Um, one is to go out into the world and make disciples of everybody. Um, and and the, the second is to love your neighbor, so that's a calling to serve. But the very first calling in the Bible is the creation mandate or the cultural mandate, where God created the earth, and, and it says on the seventh day he rested from his work. So God is a worker. It says he made us in his image. He made us in his image as workers and co-creators. He put us, he put us in the Garden of Eden to work. And so this is an important... This is one of the three most important commandments, and unfortunately, it's one that we've lost track of in the church, I think, largely. so um, Largely. God, that was the underestimated statement of the day. We've large, 99% yeah. of the churches have lost the cultural mandate. Yeah, and, that, and unfortunately, that's correct, for a variety of reasons. 
But um, the important thing for your listeners to understand is that God delights when we do commerce or business uh, in an honorable or in, in, uh, in a way with integrity. You know, Proverbs says that uh, the Lord detests uh, dishonest scales, but he delights in accurate weight. So every time we do a business transaction that's honest, open, with integrity, the Lord's delighted. You know, isn't that something? That every time we do a business transaction, whether it's at a grocery store or, or anywhere, that's a, or in business, when it's done honestly, the Lord delights in that. That, yeah, that is, it's encouraging to know that my work matters, and if I just do a good job, I'm bringing glory to God. That's fantastic. But how about, you know, so that's one side of where the church doesn't really teach people, and we need to help pastors understand that, that, the, that the calling into the workplace, it matters to everybody. But what about this clergy conundrum? You did a whole chapter on the clergy conundrum, yeah. and, and that, that's a frustrating one as well. Um, yeah, it's... Um and a lot of this came from another great book uh, by Laura Nash and uh, Scotty McClellan called uh, Church on Sunday's Work on Mondays. They did some studies, and they, they really found that there was a, a deep-rooted distrust for the marketplace among clergy um, and um, a view that the marketplace is tainted, that capitalism is unjust. And it's, it's really unfortunate. I think it's partially because pastors live in an insular world, I think it's partially because, if you think about it, pastors are dealing with people who are, who are uh, suffering or broken. So they're dealing with people who might have lost their job, who are being treated poorly by bosses. But that's not, that's not the whole picture of the business world, and they might not have that whole picture. But unfortunately, a lot of pastors view the marketplace as tainted, and they might view their church as a sanctuary for people to escape as opposed to viewing the marketplace as, a, as somewhere to, as a place to send people out, to equip people and send people out to do God's work. Well, and I think the church a lot of times, unfortunately, and this is what we have to overcome, and that's why the I Work For Him show exists, is that the, the church has taught a lot of people that business is just a necessary evil. But it's not evil. God created business. The cultural mandate was about going and subduing the earth. And, and that's what business does. And it's not evil. God created it. And, and that's that's just what I, I grew up going. Well, business is necessary. Evil. You get your job, bring your money back to the church, give your money to the church, run a board. Yeah, <laughs> Vol- volunteer church. Yeah, that, that's right. And and uh, but like I said, you know, God delights in commerce. God, God delights. You know, He wants to see us. And he put us in the garden. He he told us he told us to subdue the the earth and to uh, continue the creative process. So as we do that and uh, improve things, he delights in that. Um, and the church really needs to kind of get a hold of this. Um, Sherman and Hendricks' book, Your Work Matters to God, as I said, you know, it opens in the book. They did a survey, and like ninety five percent of the people said they'd never heard a sermon that had practical. Uh, application to their uh, their their their, uh, their work, and and that's terrible. We're missing something on it. Dorothy Sayers, um, you know, also said, uh, you know, how can how can anyone? Um, let's see. I think I got the quote here. Um, how can one remain interested in a religion which seems to have no concern with nine tenths of life? And the point is, I think that. There's a huge opportunity for people to embrace the Lord and to embrace the Church, 
uh, once they understand that uh, their life doesn't need to be compartmentalized, that uh, that uh, God is very interested in their work and uh, really delights in what they do if they do it righteously and glorify Him. Well, speaking of doing it righteously and doing it to glorify Him, one of your chapters is on the morality vacuum. And, and, and talk to me what that really means to you as a former executive. Well, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that I, I ran into several instances where a board or members or owners were trying to get, to me, uh, get me to do some things that were dishonest or lacked integrity. And uh, in some cases, there's just not the same... Uh, level of morality is what Scripture tells us to follow. You know, and I was very intrigued by this. I I spent time when I was writing the book, and I think I reviewed every verse I could find related to work, labor, uh, toil, or commerce. And I decided there were really two themes there. And sometimes people ask me, how do you glorify God at work? And, 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 and it really boils down to two things. One is act righteously. Um, Many of the verses talk about um, doing commerce or business. We, we mentioned the uh, uh, accurate scales. Um, and we often hear sermons about working righteously. So one of the things is working righteously. But the other thing is a lot of verses about performing remarkably. Um, and that's the second key, perform remarkably. So act righteously and perform remarkably. Uh, and there's lots of examples, again, in Scripture. Joseph performed remarkably uh, for Potiphar, uh, for instance, in Egypt. Uh, you mentioned Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work it, at it with all your heart, as if working for the Lord. So the Lord wants us to use the gifts that he gave us, just like a father who gives us a gift. If I gave my uh, son or daughter a bicycle, I want to see my son use that bicycle remarkably. And, and I think the Lord has the same heart for that. Um, and if we perform remarkably, people are interested in us. I mean, that's why people go to hear Tony Dungy, not just because he's a Christian, but because he won a Super Bowl. He performed remarkably. He won two so, Super Bowls. The one in Tampa just wasn't in his name, but he did everything in order to get the Buccaneers to win. <laughs> and then they let him go and let the next guy ride on his coattails. Sorry to mean to jump on that bandwagon, but really. Yeah, but I heard, but, but he, and he wouldn't say that either. See, and that's, that's why it opens up doors for us to witness to people, because not just because they act righteously, and I'm sure Tony Dungy acted righteously in coaching the team, but he, he won did. a Super Bowl. Yeah, he's, he's unbelievable. He spoke um, last year to our Christian Chamber, excuse me, to our Tampa Mayor's Prayer Breakfast to 1,000 people, and almost 100 people came to Christ that morning. It was fantastic. Yeah. Hey, I want to move on to the next, I want to make sure we cover just enough of, uh, of your chapters to intrigue people on why they need to get a copy of this book. If they're in leadership at all within an organization, they don't have to own an organization, but they're in leadership at all. The Generosity and Servanthood chapter, most people in leadership don't understand the value of both of those together and separate. Why were, Why did you do a whole chapter on them? And, and what was it about? Well, uh, I, I, I think in, un, it's because, unfortunately, there's some bad examples out there that uh, get people very upset, rightfully so. Executives who are making a ton of money and, um, and while the business is not prospering. I, I could give you some examples, but... Um, that's just wrong. I, I think we as executives have to have a spirit of servant leadership, um, where where uh, we put our we put our people first. So we've all known bosses who are just concerned about their careers. I'll give you a quick example. When I 
was a mid-level manager at Pepsi. I had a good friend who had a very similar job to me. We both did presentations for senior executives right up to the chairman of the board of PepsiCo. When my department did a presentation, my people would present and I would sit in the back of the room and help them if they got stuck on questions. When this friend of mine did presentations, he would present and he would have his people in the back of the room to help him if he got stuck. So my attitude was giving my people the credit, and I, one of the things I'm proudest of is the um, success that people that worked for me had um, throughout their careers. And it really pays off because after a while, this fellow's name was Tim, Nobody wanted to work for Tim, but everybody wanted to work for me. So they all made me look good. I had the best people working for me. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right, really quickly on, and we'll and we'll come back to it after the break. But really quickly on coaching and honest feedback. Okay. Tell me, tell me that that chapter was a good chapter. Well, coaching and honest feedback is is a tough one for many Christians. Um, uh, you know, I, I hate to say it, but Christians tend to be a little bit, they tend to be avoiders of conflict. <laughs> that's, so, you just described the entire state of Minnesota. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Down yeah. here in Florida, um, they just smash cars into each other instead. Yeah, and, you know, and, and you're not doing people a good service. I mean, if you're giving coaching and honest feedback, even if it's critical, with the spirit of helping them, that's the right thing to do. Um, I had a a wonderful Christian guy who was a director working for me, and he had a really poor-performing guy working for him. He could, just couldn't bring himself around to giving him honest feedback or holding him accountable, and it was hurting the whole department. And uh, really the right thing is, you know, in the spirit of of love and, and, and uh, care for that person, to give them the honest feedback, give them the coaching to help them succeed. And... Um, well, one time I was being interviewed for a job, and the, the, the headhunter said, what's, what's your greatest accomplishment in uh, your career? And I named four people, you know, John, Mary, you know, whoever it was. And, and he was stunned. He says, well, what does that have to do with anything? And I said, well, they worked for me, and they went on to run uh, Disney. They, they went on to run a uh, division of Microsoft. And I have something to do with that. And so that's what I'm really proud of. Yeah, the investment in people is so important. Even if sometimes you have to help free people's future, you're usually doing them a huge, a huge favor. And, and that's what I liked about your book, Roger, from one end to the other. Everything just practical, all this information in there, and not just for a, a, a man or woman who's running a business or a husband or wife team that are running a business together, but for people in corporate culture, because most people in America are working for somebody else. And this is how they can make a difference. And, and you use so many great examples examples, but that, speaking honestly from your heart, was part of the power of it. Roger, we have just briefly br- breathed through several different chapters on your book, but one of the things I want to really close out is a discussion on the chapter that you titled Family Casualties. In fact, this is the summary. Family casualties are a danger for corporate leaders. Avoiding this requires mutual commitment and support from both spouses. Keeping your Keep your family a priority. Having a successful career and, loving a, and a loving family is wonderful, but be sure the former is not at the expense of the latter. Roger, why is it that there's such a temptation to 
pursue this corporate career at the expense of your family? Well, um, I also have a chapter in the book called It Takes a Lot. And if you're an executive um, in a larger corporation, uh, it takes a lot. It it is time-consuming. There's a lot of travel. Um, There's a lot of hours. Even if you're not at work, you're probably sitting, in my case, I'd be sitting at the dinner table thinking about solving problems for the next day. I'd be in bed, you know, planning uh, how I was going to start the next day. So it's 24 by 7 in many cases. You know, when I was at Pepsi and I was a middle manager wanting to be a VP, I'd look up at those VPs. And, I, and I've got a, from my memory, it seemed like 50 to 70 percent, probably more like 70 percent, were all divorced. And most of them had trophy wives. It almost seemed like that that was one of the perks with a uh, uh, VP job, that you got a trophy wife. And, and it was just wrong. Um, so the, these careers can really take a toll. Like I said, it's, it's a lot of work hours. It's a lot of travel. And, you know, and, and executives make uh, a fair amount of money. So just like Solomon had all the wealth in the world, and uh, it, you know, it led him into immorality. Um, with wives and that type of thing. So you see a fair amount of that, and you just need to be centered. And, and I think that's a big advantage for Christians. Uh, a lot of executives self-destruct um, because they just can't handle it. But if you've got God at the center of your life, he'll get you through that. So how did you and Betty work through those difficult times when you're working all the time? Because you traveled all over the world for Pepsi, in your, or at least you, you yeah. described that in your book. How did you and Betty stay on the same page? How did you maintain good quality communication? Well, you know, Jim, it wasn't always easy. I mean, there were times that were hard, but I uh, have a Christian wife. Um, she's very supportive. She's always been very dedicated to our marriage. And uh, she has been a rock for me. And, and that was very important for us. And I, and I think you have to have a partner who is willing to stand by you, and, and you really have to have the permission of your partner, I think, to make that type of commitment that I did. Because, uh, you know, for years I was on the road 60, 40, 40 to 60 percent of the time. So that's mm. tough on a family. So, but how did you stay connected to your daughters? Because you have two daughters. At least your book says you have two daughters. How did you stay connected with your daughters? Because, you know, daughters need daddy time. That's how they learn what yeah. a good husband looks like. So how did how did you make sure you invested in them adequately? Well, honestly, Jim, I left Pepsi um, because <laughs> after so many years, so many years of travel, and uh, I was in Asia for four years, and I was back in the United States traveling around all over Latin America and in India. And after a couple of years, they wanted to send me over to, back over to either to Hong Kong or, or or London, and I said, well. I have to get off this roller coaster. Uh, it was fine. It worked okay when they were really small, but as I started to enter school age, I just knew I had to be home more. Yeah, it's rough on the kids to have dad gone all the time. It really, really is. Bottom line, Roger, what is the hope that you have for somebody hearing of uh, hearing you speak or reading your book? What, what are you hoping that they're going to take away? Real shortly, what is it that you hope? Well, but, you know, like God is part of your whole life. And so my error, I, I lost 15 or 20 years where I just thought God had nothing to say about my work life. And you cannot live a, compart- a compartmentalized life. You, you can't, I mean, I, 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 I would get up in the morning for some of those years, and, and it was as if I was saying, Lord, I'm going to work. Uh, I'll be back in 10 hours. I hope you're here when I get back. You can't do that. 
uh, you have to take the Lord with you to work. And whether you're an executive or uh, whatever your work is, whatever your calling is, whatever your gifts are, um, the Lord wants to bless you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to support you. And uh, if you act righteously and perform remarkably, you're going to feel you're really going to feel the Lord's delight in what you do, and it's going to give more meaning to your work. All right. So, listen, we're coming to the end of another I Work For Him show, but, Roger, I want to thank you so much. What a great discussion. We've got to do this again when you can come into the studio live in Florida, and then maybe we could go golfing before or after, because I know that's what you love to do, so that would be awesome, because down here we got alligators to dodge, so I really love that. All right, so I'm looking for a 1,000 people in Tampa Bay that will take the challenge to look at their workplace as their mission field, a 1,000 people to start praying for their coworkers and employees, a 1,000 people to start looking for ways to serve, people in their office. If you're willing, go on to the subscribe page on iworkforhim.com, iworkforhim.com, and sign up and become a thousand, one of the first thousand people in Tampa Bay making that commitment. You're listening to the I Work For Him show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower who owns my own business, but ultimately, I work for him.